Hi, everyone. I'm Kara Scott, and welcome to this episode of The Heart of Poker, sponsored by 8 at 8 Poker, a podcast that aims to introduce you and me to the players we already know so well, but in a totally new way. I've interviewed a lot of people in poker over the past 15 years, and for me, the best part of my job is getting to peek behind the mask to get to know public personalities in a more personal way. So for this podcast, I'm using a set of questions that was designed by psychologists almost 25 years ago to try to see if they could get two strangers to fall in love over the course of a long conversation. So I'm modifying the questions just slightly as it is a very long list and some of them aren't totally appropriate for what we're doing. But otherwise, these are the questions that they came up with to try to find a shortcut to intimacy and getting to know someone on a deeper level fast. So can I make you the listeners fall in love this episode? I think I can. Today's guest came runner-up in the main event of the World Series of Poker, the year that Greg Raymer won. He was runner-up for the seventh season of MasterChef, and he holds both a WPT title and a WSOP bracelet. I'm lucky enough to get a front-row seat to some of his hand breakdowns and commentary for the World Series of Poker main event break desk. It's David Williams. Hey, David. Thanks for coming on. No problem. Thanks for uh, having me. I'm excited to be a part of your project. Ah, well, I appreciate it. Have you ever heard of this 36 questions thing before, before I uh, approached you? Um, I'd heard about it briefly, but I'd, not any specifics. Um, looking for love is not really something I'm really interested in. So I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Like a way to kind of put some science to uh, connection, but never really like research what the questions were. So I'm totally kind of blind to this. So I'll be caught, you know, off scar. You'll get the real me, the natural me, the unprepared, whatever you want to call it. You know, you'll get yes. raw answers. I, I was happy to, uh, that I'm coming into this clean. I'm so glad because honestly, I think it works so much better that way. Um, and if there's any of them that you want to like throw it back and ask me some of the questions, feel free to do that. So it's a conversation. You don't kind of feel just totally exposed out on your own. Um, but we do separate it as well into three sections. So the first section starts off really basic. They get a lot more personal as we go along. The first section is kind of like the getting to know you part of uh, falling in love. So diving right in, the original question was, would you like to be famous in what way? But you've already obviously tasted that between poker, your time on MasterChef. So what's it like being poker famous? Well, to go back a little, I remember when I was a kid, I actually wanted to be famous. And I was mm. not, it's not even that I wanted to be famous. I was like certain of it. Like I, I, would, I said to like one of my like third or fourth grade teachers, like, oh, I'm going to be a star. And I kind of knew it. Now, obviously, I'm not a star because that's, you know, it's not what you envisioned as a kid. I wasn't thinking I'd be some like G-list poker celebrity. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm just want to make it clear that I'm not delusional. Like, actually, <laughs> I tweet recently about thinking I'm A-list or anything close here. I don't, uh. think, I don't think that poker is in that kind of mainstreamness, you know, to, to be that level. But I always knew that I would kind of have more than just, uh, you know, random guy working nine to five notoriety. Mm. Like I knew I would do something special. I didn't know what. And I well, I never understood how I would achieve that level of kind of notoriety, but I, I knew it would happen. And it's kind of funny that it ended up being through poker, which <laughs> I think when I started playing poker, that, that was never a goal. I mean, I played in the nineties and I was just playing because I enjoyed the game, which is why mm. I still play. But it's kind of funny that that came out of it and I would say you said what the question was what's it like mm. you know it's it's cool really because like I enjoy interacting with people I like to talk to people I consider myself a friendly and approachable person as, as, unless I'm like in the middle of a hand but in general you know like when someone comes up to me and they're like hey I've seen you in that poker show 
it, it makes me happy to engage and talk to them because I can think about times where I've met someone that I've kind of been enamored by or that I knew from TV or that I just wanted to get to know more about what they do. And them being receptive and friendly was a really mm. cool feeling. So it makes me feel great that I can kind of do that to others. So I genuinely enjoy like getting to meet people that have seen me either. Like, oh, I saw you on MasterChef. What's mm. that like? Like, I, I like that. You know, I'm like, oh, cool. And I'll find like five minutes later, I'm still talking to this person. Like, oh, shoot, you know, I got to run. I was in the middle of something, but <laughs> I'm glad I got to, you know, chat with you a bit. So I think it's just really cool to get to engage and get to know people. And, and get to kind of tell your story and explain to people who haven't experienced what you experienced, what it's like. Mm-hmm. It's a good level of notoriety to have. It doesn't really have the, the downsides that might actually come with the kind of A-list celebrity right. status. I can actually go to the park with my daughter and play. play and mm. most people don't recognize me. And if someone does, they're kind of reserved and they're friendly about it. They're like, hey, are you that guy? And I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, cool. I'm not like getting mobbed when I go out. So that's really cool that you get kind of both sides of it. You get to scale it back if you want. You know, you can put a hoodie mm-hmm. on and just kind of like some sunglasses and mind your business. <laughs> okay. Second question. Uh, what role does music play in your everyday life? And are there any bands or musical acts that you've seen live more than once? Man, this is, this is, this is a cool question because it's something I've been kind of aware of and think about lately. Music doesn't play as big a role as I, I think it should because I've noticed like, I love music, but I don't listen to it very often. Like, I can't really listen to it when I play poker because I find it's hard to focus and really pay attention. I used to, but I found I was more on autopilot. But mm. I do notice that whenever, like, good music comes on, which we'll get into what I consider good music afterwards, I feel better. I'm like, wow, I feel inspired. I feel happy. I'm, like, motivated. Like, let's go do something more with your life. And I'm like, man, you know what? I need to start listening to music more. Like, I need, like, a soundtrack playing in the background when I'm doing stuff, you know, not too loud, but enough to inspire me. And then I find like today, I haven't listened to music one bit. And I'm like, man, what is going on? Like I should have some music on in the background. I'm sitting here at my computer, plugging away at a spreadsheet in total silence. Like why don't Mm. I have a lot of music on? So I need to start being aware and involving music more in my life because I think it helps make my mood better and it gives me genuine happiness and inspiration. Um, My favorite type of music is probably hip hop, but not Mm -hmm. like I, as a, as a teenager, I think I loved more hardcore stuff like gangster rap and more serious. But now I've kind of mellowed out and I like more R&B-ish, like a little bit, some singing involved. Even, even I would say R&B. Like if I was look, listening to uh, the iTunes playlist the other day, I found that I picked the hot R&B one over the A-list hip hop one because it was mm. a little too hard for me. Not that I don't enjoy it, but I feel like I guess maybe I'm becoming – that 40 year old dad where I need some more <laughs> music and some singing and more feel good and less more like, yeah, let's get this guy. Like more of just laid back and, and chill and nod your head a little bit, you know, tap mm-hmm. your feet and feel good. That's interesting. Like becoming a parent, obviously it was a few years ago for you. Did you find that you kind of needed to tap into a more optimistic side or it just kind of came naturally with music and with other things as well? Because I find that I'm trying to listen to things that are more optimistic or read things that are more optimistic because I mean, having a kid makes you really need the world to be a better place. Oh, absolutely. 100%. You, you hit it right on the head. I mean, you, you, you don't want to ever, and I know I can't say you or I'm saying when I say you, I'm talking about myself as a parent. Mm. I imagine most parents feel the same. You don't want to be that negative figure to your child. You want your child to, to smile. You want them to be happy. And you realize, well, I got to be that example. 
I got to do that if I want them to have that positive energy. If I want them to say, well, my dad's smiling, he's happy, I'm going to be happy and things Mm. are good. So it's like I try to find things to give me peace and positivity just because I want to be that good example. But I know that also kind of it permeates, it radiates onto your child. And in general, I have a pretty happy eight-year-old. She laughs, she smiles, she's giggly most of the time. I mean, she has her moments like any other human, but... I hope that that's because of the positivity or the ton of things I've sought out since I've become a father. And I knew that Mm. I needed to have that, which I think is another reason why I play a little less poker, because as you probably know, and most of the people that play poker, if you play too much, you can become desensitized and you can get a little kind of Mm. bitter at times when things aren't going well. And I don't ever want to come home from a session. You know, I went and I got crushed and I'm in a downswing and I'm just in a bad mood. I don't want to be that way around my daughter. So I decided, you know what, unless I'm going to have able to control that or, or I'm going to be away from a, for a little bit of time, I'm just going to not take it as seriously and play as seriously when I, when I know I'm going to be around her because I don't want to ever bring that negative energy around her. Hmm. It's a massive change of life in so many ways, for sure. For sure. And it's all, I would say it's all positive. I mean, yeah, there's moments where you feel like, this is crummy. I wish I didn't have to do this. But overall, it is a huge net positive, And I am so thankful oh, yeah. to be a father. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, I'm still in the diaper phase, but (laughs) it's not going to last forever. So every day it gets better. I can't even explain it to you, as you know. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, um, In terms of music, are you a festival guy at all? I know there are a lot of people, especially in poker, who, you know, do the festivals. I got into the, the music kind of festival scene, I would say, more recently, like, my first concert was when I was 16. I went to a, mm. a 311, which is like a, a rock band concert. And it was a blast. But I never really went to too many concerts because I'm not really into big crowds. and I'm not really into kind of being cramped. And that's just not my thing. And then when mm. I moved to Vegas, I would go to concerts and arenas because you have like seats and you have space because I'm a little bit bougie. So you can, <laughs> you can be comfortable. But when things like EDC and Coachella started kind of becoming popular, I would say the last 10 years, it was never my scene because I wasn't really into the music. I'm not into the party favors or whatever you call it. You know, that's just Mm. all the things that festivals are kind of people think they're all about. That just didn't seem like my idea of entertainment. But I would say three years ago, I was like, you know what? One of my close friends said, listen, you got to come to EDC with me. You'll have a good time. You'll be amongst friends. It's, like, it's kind of like being in the club, which I'd spent a lot of my time in clubs in my early 30s, late 20s. He's like, it's like being in the club, man. We're a bunch of friends. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Come with me. So I decided to go to EDC three years ago, and I had an absolute blast. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I'm so thankful you made me go. Like, this was cool. Like, I got to be with my friends, but we were outside. We had more room. The music was great. And now I don't miss EDC. I haven't been to Coachella yet, which is kind of the other big festival here on the West Coast. But no, I really had a good time. And and I'm totally, my eyes are open to new experiences. And I don't think Hmm. I would say no if another one, you know, an opportunity arose. What about Burning Man? Well, I I actually go to Burning Man every summer. But I didn't bring it up because a lot of people have the misconception that it is a music festival and it's not. I mean, there's great music there. But I would say being a music festival is kind of like it has maybe a small percent in common with that. It's a lot deeper and a lot more than that. Mm. The music is great. So that is a benefit. Um, I do find myself when I'm there because I go for like nine days and I'm off the grid. I don't have my phone doesn't work. I mean, no one's really does. I do find myself yearning for some soul, for some hip hop, for some Mm. house music or something with some soul in it, you know, 
because it's a lot more deeper electronic and I, I enjoy it. I like it. But after like five days of that, I'm like, can I get some <laughs> words? Can I get some like something that hits me with like a groove, less more, yeah. less mechanical or electronic and more, you know, soul. That's the word that I keep coming back to. So I do find I miss that when I'm at Burning Man, but Burning Man for me is a light, was a life changing experience my first time to the point where I don't think I'll ever really miss it. And it took a while because you're off the grid for a while. And I'm so close with my daughter. That was the thing holding me back. I'm like, how am I ever going to be where I can't even call her for nine days, eight days, seven days? So the first year I went for five and she was with her mother and my mother. So I knew she was in good hands. I knew she Mm -hmm. was going to be treated just as good, if not better than she's with dad. So I was like, you know what? You just got to live a little and let go. And I came back and what do you know? The world didn't end. She was fine. (laughs) Everybody was great. And I was like, okay. So last year I went for nine days or this summer and I was okay. I actually missed her really badly and found a way to call her on like day six. I like walked to the edge of the earth and got a cell phone. And she answered and I was, and it just made me so happy. But no, I think it's a fantastic experience just being off the grid. That's my main thing I say, Hmm. because it forces human connection. Because right now the way the world is, and I'm not faulting anybody, I'm guilty of it. We don't connect like we did when I was a kid, right? Like people don't just talk and get to know each other because we have this thing, this computer in our hand all the Hmm. time. And we're, we're so stuck to it. And I, and I'm so just as guilty, but when you're there and it doesn't work, you don't really have a choice. You're either going to be alone or you're going to look at somebody and go, hey, what's your name? Hmm. I'm David. Well, what do you do? Where do you live? Oh, cool. And you just, you get to know each other. And it's like, at the end of these nine days, you've met so many people that you're like, wow, I made new friends. And you're like, this is what life used to be. This is like a, a simpler time before we had these damn phones, which are like hmm. such a gift and a curse. So I think that's my favorite thing is it forces connection. It forces a disconnect from the, the grid and kind of a plugging yourself into people and humanity. And you start to realize like people are, are genuinely nice and kind. And even though we have differences, like we have similarities and it, it gives me hope for the world again, which you can get discouraged in the way things are right now. And like the political climate and the division and the arguing and the war and all these things going on, it's just so hard to kind of have mm. faith sometimes. And it, it gives you hope. You make me want to go to Burning Man. No, seriously. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, and it, huh. that's the thing too. A lot of people think, oh, it's just a big rave in the desert. It's totally not that. Granted, if you were looking for that, you can find that. There are 70,000 people there. When yeah. you put 70,000 people anywhere, you can find any kind of niche you want. Hmm. But I like waking up at 9 a.m. naturally. I get on my bike. I just ride around and I roll up to people doing something cool, painting some art project and introduce myself. And they're like, hey. Hmm jump on in or you hungry we're we're having lunch mm. and it's just like it's like being a kid again like i don't know if a lot of people experience childhood like i did but my childhood was you hop on your in the summer you hop on your bike you roll around the neighborhood you talk to your friends you know and you go meet new friends and you're all just at billy's backyard and you're playing and you're like let's go here now and you just kind of roll around picking up more kids doing fun things you're like oh time to go back home it's getting dark there was no mm. device and it's kind of like that out there and it's like a time yeah. warp and it's just so cool I I heard someone talking uh, once about how as adults, you know, from our generation, people, we don't play. And when we were kids, we played and then we become adults. And for the most part, I mean, most people aren't as lucky as you and I are. They don't get to 
play a game for a living or they don't have the time that that game gives us to go and play other games, you know, playing World of Warcraft or playing for me, like uh, tower defense games or or whatever. Um, But we don't play enough. And that kind of human connection that comes through make believe play for kids is so important. And to be able to do that, I'm guessing for people at Burning Man being able to like dress up in however they want and be all of these different parts of themselves, that must be really exhilarating. It is. It's 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 free. Like you get to just be yourself. And that's the cool part. People really, it's, people don't judge or care. Like, I'm sure there's mm. isolated incidents, but as a whole, no one really gives a dang, you know? I don't know if you can cuss or not, so I kind of said dang, I don't really talk like that. You can cuss if you want. <laughs> Nobody really gives a shit, you know? Like, if, mm. if you want to walk around with your shirt off, like right now, I'm not in the best shape. I got a little bit of dad bod, and if I was going to go to a pool party, I'd be a little self-conscious. I mean, I have mm. some confidence, but I'd kind of be like, oh, I'm not sure you go out there, you're just like, who cares? Everybody, like, you know, as far as guys and their kind of bellies go, or even if chicks mm. are not in the best shape, no one really gives a crap because yeah. we're all like that and no one's perfect. And you realize it out there and there's no pressure to be perfect. Like there kind of is in the real world, even though it's not explicit, it's kind of implied. Like people kind of look at you funny and it's like, there's none of that. So that's a really free and cool part. But yeah, you're right. It's like the playing aspect. Like my daughter, I look at what her and her friends do and they don't really play like I did as a kid. Or I would say most of my generation did, where we didn't really have a lot but our imaginations. We're out with some sticks, you know, outside, banging <laughs> sticks as swords together and running around. And now everything is so electronic. And it's just, it's mm. so, I don't know. I just feel like it's losing its realness. And it, it, mm. it kind of worries me. But I don't know how you fix it. How do we, how do we undo Pandora's box, you know? Yeah, I don't think we can. I think, hmm, I think... I get to be really lucky because my husband's family has a farm way down in the deep south of Calabria uh, in Italy. And so when we go down there and we spend a fair amount of time down there, it's really isolated. You can only get signal in like a couple of places. The whole house is basically a black spot and it's great. She can play outside and play with the dogs and whatnot. But for most kids, that is not an option. And yeah, there is no way to put it back. And to the point where a lot of kids, I noticed with my daughter and her friends, they kind of don't even know how to play without yeah. like stuff going on. They're kind of just like, what do we do? Mm. And I'm like, that's so weird because it's like they've grown up not really having to do that. So now they don't really even know how to truly do it in the way we did. But maybe that's just me being mm. uh, biased because that's how we did it. And like, you know, that's <laughs> their version of it. And they'll look at their kids and say, they don't play like we did when we were kids. I mean, it could be that, but it just doesn't feel as is the same and you know yeah. I, I act like i'm this boomer just talking bad about technology don't get me wrong i'm plugged in i mean I, i'm sitting around three computers right now i got four screens in front of me ipad you know i am super into technology but i do realize the drawbacks of it and i, mm. I miss that how human connection is lacking and, and, and it's just mm. it's sad really yeah Okay. Well, we're almost finished the first section there's only one question left and it's kind of a heavy one um to go from all of this the last question is, do you have a secret hunch about how you'll die? I did not make up these questions. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, this is this could be a heavy one if I let it be, especially because one of my biggest anxiety causers is paranoia about death or thinking mm. about when that day comes and looking at how fast I'm aging. Like, not like I'm not aging any faster than everyone else. One second mm. is one second, but it just feels like, holy crap, I'm going to be 40 in a few months. And mm. I was... 23 years old yesterday like what the hell happened <laughs> like the next thing you know i'll be dead you know it just like it feels coming <laughs> through to the, the timeline but uh how i'm gonna die you know i i don't think about it too much i hope that it's 
because I'm old and it's peaceful mm. and I've lived a good life and I'm asleep one day and it just, you know, I transition on to whatever is next for us. Mm. Um, I think that's all you really can do. Uh, I try to, I'm trying to be healthier as I've gotten older and it's not something new like this year. Since I've been 30, I've kind of transitioned towards living a healthier life. You know, I don't go to nightclubs anymore. I don't drink a lot. I don't do any drugs. I eat pretty healthy. You know, as my twenties, I ate a lot of fast food. Now I cook a lot and I eat a lot of whole foods and vegetables. Mm. So hoping, hoping, hoping that taking care of my body and, and my mind can allow me to live that long, fruitful life and just, you know, maybe die of old age peacefully. So it'd be a good way to go. Yeah. You know, surrounded by those I love and they know I'm okay. And Hmm. you know, I've lived a full life. I hope. Yeah. I suspect I'm going to go in some sort of wild Mad Max style battle for the last bit of clean water, but you know, <laughs> that's yeah, just me. Yeah, I mean, I have a <laughs> and fear every now and then when I look at what's happening and like, I'm like, you know, technology goes fast and Termin- I always envision-, envision it like Terminator 3, like yes. robots are here, everybody's underground in a bunker and there's fire and we're just like fighting, like you say, for the last bit of water and the robots are going to take over and, and you know, I'm like, maybe that happens you know, uh, 200 years from now, except for mm. the way technology goes, how fast it, it's like almost, what's the term I'm thinking, how, how fast it is, but exponential. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like it could be here sooner than we think. No. I know. AI, as soon as, that, it's terrifying. I can't even get into that. Um, okay. Second set of questions. Let's see. The first question is, if a crystal ball could tell you the truth about yourself, your life, the future, or anything else, what would you ask it? Wow. You know, that's funny because the first thing that pops to my head is so kind of in a way, not really important. You know what I mean? Like if you had that power, there's so many important things you could ask it. And the main thing I'd want to ask it, and it it gets deep, I'll try to give a a condensed version because this could take an hour if I'm not going to go into that. But (laughs) basically when I was 19, I made the final eight of a Magic the Gathering World Championships, which was Mm -hmm. like my life. And I got disqualified for, quote, cheating because they said my cards were marked. And some people to this day still think I cheated. I can tell you here, I didn't. And I can also say, listen, if I cheated at 19 and I'm 39 right now, I would just admit it because who cares? No one's going to judge me for something I did at 19. But the honest truth, I swear to my child, is I didn't mark my cards. I did not cheat. But they were clearly marked and some kind of nefarious play went down. Like, I don't know what. And I think I'll never find out. I mean, there was a guy that stayed in my room the night before who was kind of sketchy, you know, like who needed a room to crash in out of nowhere, who came to like Mm. screw me on. But I need a room like he could have done something, could have been the staff. I don't know. And I'll never get that answer unless somebody just comes clean one day. And I've been I've always said, like, maybe when you die, you get to solve all the mysteries in your life. And that is the one that I've always wanted to know what the hell really happened. And I'm like, if I could get that, that crystal ball or that genie you mentioned, that's my first question. What really went down? Why did I get screwed? And in a way it's a blessing. Like I'm not one with regrets. I'm actually happy it happened to me because it forced me to get into poker, which led me to where I am now, which led me to the success I've had in poker. And who knows? I'm a firm believer in every incident that happens in your life leads you to where you are today. And considering I'm happy with where I am today, if that didn't happen, who knows the path my life goes down? Maybe I'm still mm. just plugging away, playing magic. Could be happy, but, you know, didn't discover poker, didn't meet my ex-wife, didn't have my daughter. So I don't have any regrets, but I still would like to know what really happened that day. Hmm. 
Yeah, I, I went to now. All that power, and that's what I want to know. No, actually, happened. I might use that on mine as well now. <laughs> you, what happened to David? How did David get disqualified for cheating? And yeah. I think the people that know me and that got to know me in Magic, I've never – most people, I would say, are like, no, he's a clean player and some – obviously something goofy happened there mm. it's kind of accepted but every now and then someone will comment on like a forum oh you were a magic cheater as a teenager and it's like <sighs> listen buddy i've done some bad things in my life no one's perfect but i didn't do that there and i mm. can just tell you right now at 39 i didn't but i want to know what happened yeah it's interesting because um now that you bring the story up i remember that i actually did hear about this somehow and i assumed at 19 people make mistakes and you know i never even would have questioned it it's kind of wild the stories that get put out about us in our past that Absolutely. just get believed without even I mean it didn't affect obviously what I thought of you and because I mean 19 that's crazy but it's interesting to hear you say that I gotta be honest because huh. like right now whether I did or I didn't it doesn't actually matter like if I were to say yes I did cheat then who I was 19 years old I was a teenager I'm 20 right. and 39 now no one's gonna change their opinion of me so it's the kind of thing where like look I would admit it if I did, I promise. I want to know what happened too, but it mm. just bothers me because, you know, it was such an important milestone for me to make the, the finals of the World Championships of Magic, and it was like something I'd fought for so hard and gave my kind of teenage years to, and I was culminating with like a chance to be the world champion, and it was like, it meant so much to me, and I was crushed, especially imagine when you get crushed like that and you don't really know what happened yourself mm. to be falsely accused it's devastating and it's actually warped my worldview to where I always give people the benefit of the doubt in situations where I probably shouldn't hmm. because I know what it's like to be falsely accused and have circumstances make you look guilty when you aren't. So anytime someone's guilty, I'm always like, but what if they didn't? Like, yeah. what if they did, I know what that feels like. So I'm always worried about someone being falsely accused and my friends in a situation like, bro, there is no way that guy's not guilty. I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> if they didn't, like how awful that feels, I know. So yeah. it's hard for me. It's really warped my worldview because I can't ever, unless I need 100% certainty to ever, you know, have someone be at fault. Huh. It must have really knocked you on your ass for a little while though, especially oh, at that age. I was devastated. I didn't leave the house. I was depressed. I was totally devastated. And I, wow. I, I got into poker and, and here we are, you know, I'm hmm. having this interview with you. Wild. Wild. Okay. Uh, next question in this section is... Let's see. What's the good one here? I'm going to skip a few of them because we're getting some great answers for the ones we're doing. So what do you value most in a friendship? Is there something that your friends have in common or some trait that they share? Yeah. You know, what do I value most? I would say, I mean, it's probably, it's weird because it's not something you can control. Common interest, I think, because I have, I've had a ton of friends, especially living in Vegas, but I don't actually have a lot of common interest and it has caused us to sort of, I wouldn't say fall apart as we have like, oh, I'm not your friend anymore. Well, we've kind of drifted apart and grown apart. But the friends mm. that I still talk to are the ones that I have common interests. Like we play games together, whether it's Magic or World of Warcraft or poker. But we have something that like we're passionate about that is similarity, that is in, in common, that's a similarity so that it keeps us in touch. Because I have so many friends throughout the years, like at one point, if I look at my the number of people on my phone, it's in the 3,000. I know every one of them because I go through and delete people I don't know. And I would consider all them friends at some point, but those friendships haven't really fostered. They haven't kind of grown because I don't really have a lot of common interest with them. So that's kind of what I value the most, somebody that enjoys the things I enjoy. But mm. as far as qualities in a person, I would say just, you know, people that are, are straightforward and honest because I tell it like it is. 
and I don't really bullshit with my friends. I, I joke around, but I don't really like, I'll just say if I'm, something's bothering me or something's not. And I, I appreciate that kind of rapport, you know? Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Let's talk about family now. Um, how close and warm is your family? It sounds like you had a pretty idyllic growing up in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, it's it, growing up. It's weird. I didn't grow up with a father. Um, I've never met him, him and my mother. Uh, he didn't want to have a child and she hmm. said, I'm having a child. And, you know, as you can imagine how that goes, somebody hmm. leaves. So a lot of people wonder like, oh, you know, you must have been so tough. And I'm like, you know, it wasn't, though, because, A, my mom was an awesome mom and she took over both parts and she hmm. did a great job of it. But her parents also lived pretty close. I would say like two streets over my grandparents. And in a way, I had three parents. I had a mom, a grandma, and a grandfather, but it's like I have three parents because they were all involved. Mm-hmm. They were all there. They, you know, My mom's a flight attendant. When she would go to work, grandma and grandpa, they were my parents. So mm-hmm. I was close to all of them, and they were very involved in my life. So I had this great, tight family. My mother is one of four, and her sisters all and brothers all lived in the same neighborhood. So my cousins were all close. So we all were just this big family, and it was fantastic. Lots mm-hmm. of love, lots of support. Um, when I wanted to drop out of Princeton, my mom and grandma, I, one of my biggest fears when I dropped out of Princeton was like, I would let my family down. And I remember I was depressed and I finally called my mom and was like, I'm not happy. And she's like, you can come home. I'm like, I don't want to let you and grandma down. And she's like, are you kidding me? She's like, you'd be letting us down if you did something that made you miserable. Like come home, we are here for you. And that felt so great. Or when I wanted to pursue poker as a profession, you know, neither of them judged. They were just, okay. You know, my grandfather thought it was awesome. Oh, he loved to gamble. He was like, this is cool. So <laughs> having that much love and support with no matter what I wanted to do was just amazing. And to this mm-hmm. day, my grandparents have both passed, but they passed. They were, they were old age. They lived great lives. My mom moved to Vegas two years ago to be closer to myself and my daughter. Um, her and my daughter and me hang out at least once a week, we, we go eat, we'll watch Survivor together. My daughter, her favorite person in the world is my mom, her grandma, hmm. and they spend a lot of time together. So yeah, I would say my, my family's very close. There's a lot of love and support everywhere. And I think that's key to being confident and, and you know, pursuing your dreams in life. So, you know, hopefully that hmm. trickles down to Lily and she sees that we love and support her no matter what. And it continues, it spreads. It's a great example for you as a parent. Oh, absolutely. I mean, my mom was a fantastic mom. Mm-hmm. I always joked that she was more like a best friend because growing up, we would like, we actually played a lot of games together. And one of my favorite mm-hmm. stories is she loved video games, which I guess is why I love them now. And I remember in kindergarten, we were playing this Sega game and it was a Sunday night because school was the next day. And I was a little bit better than her at this game. And she was stuck at a boss and she was like, can you help me beat this guy? And I was like, sure. <laughs> and then it turned into help another one. And the next thing you know, it's like, 2.30 in the morning and we're both playing video games. I'm like, and I was pretty responsible at like five years old. I'm like, mom, I got school in the morning. And she's like, well, let's just finish this and I'll write you a note. You can be sick tomorrow. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And people might say, oh, that's bad parenting. But listen, I was a pretty smart kid. I breezed through school. Like I was a straight A student all Mm. the way my entire, I went to Princeton. I got into Harvard. I had no trouble with school, but at, uh, Humble brag, but whatever. Sometimes you can. <laughs> but I remember going to the kindergarten the, the, the Tuesday, and my friends were like, "Oh, you know, were you sick?" And I'm like, "Actually, I was playing video games with my mom." And they're like, "You're a liar," you know, because it just sounds so fake. I'm like, "Okay, whatever." And 
my mom was so cool. Like we were like friends and we played Scrabble and we played, we did puzzles and like we did logic puzzles growing up. And I think that's why I became such a gamer, but no, I mean, it was, she was like my best friend growing up and it was pretty cool uh, up until I became like a teenager and then started hanging out with other kids and she just supported mm. me. But I hung out with kids, but I'm saying she was my, you know, as a young kid, it was me and my mom. We were just like, you know, we doing that's stuff, cool. hanging out all night. Yeah. yeah. That's really nice. Huh. Um, if you could change anything about the way you were raised, what would it be? You know, I think it's hard because I always say I live my life with like no regrets. I don't want to change anything because I'm a firm believer in the butterfly effect. Like you change mm. one thing, who knows what's different. But if I had to kind of go back, I would say maybe a little more structure in my life because I find it difficult for me to adjust to structure now. Because, you know, as you know, being a poker player, we don't have a lot of structure. The only structure <laughs> we have is the blind levels, you know. And like, yeah. if you don't want to play this tournament, you don't have to. If you don't want to come back from break on time, you really don't have to. Like, mm. you, as poker players, we don't really have a lot of structure within this, you know, what we have to do. Whereas the average person has a lot more with their job or with their family. And I'm pretty lucky I don't, but it would make it easier if I wanted to kind of pursue something that required structure. It wouldn't be so difficult for me. And I find it a little difficult now to be like, oh, damn. Although being a parent has helped because every day I got to wake up at 630. I got to take Lily to school and get her there on time. I got to pick her up. So being a parent gives me that structure. But I think having had it a little more growing up would help me kind of adjust to it a little better. Hmm. Well, we're in this uh, third set of questions now. That was the first one of the third set. So carrying on from that, in your opinion, is there anything that's too serious to be joked about? Um, yes and no. I mean, I'm, I love comedians and I think kind of everything is fair game. I, I don't really think it's good to joke about children and, and mm. doing or bad things happening to children. Like that kind of gets me. Like yeah. I, I remember on Facebook the other day, there was a thread and I'm friends with a lot of both sides of the spectrum. And I don't want to make this even political, but about climate change, someone made kind of a disgusting comment about uh, the, the little girl Greta. Right. And I, it really, and I don't even really comment when I see people on Facebook debating, because I've learned to just not even get involved because you kind of can't win and you'll just exhaust yourself. But it was to the point where it was fairly disgusting. And I just chimed in. Are you really saying this about a little girl? To a guy I don't even know, but it was a mutual friend's thread. And I was like, you should be ashamed of yourself and you should probably delete this comment. I don't normally mm -hmm. comment, but I'm upset. And then a few other people chimed in like, yeah, you're a disgusting pig. And the guy was like, oh, I didn't know her age. And I was like, well, your comments go here. You know, he's like, yeah. I don't even look at age. I thought she was an adult. And he ended up deleting it eventually. But things like that, I think, are off limits, like making mm -hmm. sexual or or just offhand remarks about children. And I think that defense has come from me being a parent now. I look at like children as these precious things and it's like, hey man, leave the kids alone. You know, mm. everybody else is fair game, but don't F with kids. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's a good answer. Um, have you ever been truly terrified? Have I been terrified? Mm. Oh, that's a tough one. I got to think back. I mean, I guess not because if I truly had it, probably be, you know, I'd be able to answer it right away. <laughs> I mean, I can think of some moments where I've been on a plane and I've thought we might be going down, but that's, but mm. I get, I notice I always have these morbid fears when I fly. I always start thinking about the afterlife and I, it's totally mm. not scientific because plane crashes mathematically aren't very likely, but for some reason on planes, I start preparing for the next, the next piece <laughs> of the journey. And I, and when things get bad, I'm like, Oh crap, we're going down and this is it. But I've been terrified. I think once on a flight before, but no, I don't really think I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think back and I can't think of one. 
Hmm. So I guess not. That's good. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a blessing, you know, I've lived a pretty blessed life. I do say that. Yeah. Well, long may that continue. Um, All right. Another question. When did you last cry in front of someone or by yourself? Oh man. Um, That's, it's a tough one. And I can, I know exactly a few weeks ago when um, the news of Kobe Bryant. Mm. Um, So Kobe was my favorite athlete forever. Uh, You know, and everyone who knows me knows that. Uh, I've met him a few times. He was neighbors with a friend of mine in Orange County. I've spent some time with him. He was a genuinely nice human, like super nice. And I've met a lot of celebrities being in poker. You have the opportunity to meet a lot of people. And he was definitely one of the kindest, just like genuine people. Like a lot of celebrities are kind of annoyed in a sense, or I'm empathetic to it. Like, I'm sure they're bothered a lot, especially the more famous they are. Like you can't go out to the park with your kid, like I mentioned earlier. So I could see how that could get annoying. But Kobe was just like, you could see it in his eyes when you shook his hand. Like this guy really is being friendly. And then in addition to that, I loved his, his killerness on the court, you know, how much of an athlete, how much of a, like a winner he wanted to be. But then when he became a father, it was inspiring to me as a father, you know, like mm. you could tell he had a little girl. I had a little girl and I didn't want a girl at first because I thought I was imagined having a little boy and you play sports with him and he's going to be tough. And like girls, you know, what do I know about girls? And when I found out I was having a girl, I cried. I was like, I don't want to have a girl. But then I had a girl and I'm like, holy shit, being a girl dad <laughs> is awesome. And then seeing Kobe be a girl dad, which that thing circulated, but that actually was true. That resonated with mm. me was really inspiring. And then when I found out he passed, it was weird because death, I get like, I didn't cry when my grandparents passed. And that doesn't mean I don't love them. It's just, I felt more at peace with it. I was comfortable. Mm. I was sad. Don't get me wrong, but I wasn't, it, it, it didn't shake me to my core. But then when I heard how Kobe died, it was <sighs> just, it made you realize how fragile life is. And then when he was with his daughter, that's what really just destroyed mm. me because I'm the father to a daughter. And I thought about and then I ended up finding Draymond Green. And I guess it wasn't uncommon. A lot of people had the same thought I had. I thought about what those moments must have been like. Because it wasn't yeah. like they were just shot in the back of their head and they were just dead. You know, you're when you crash, assuming it was like I imagine, who knows, maybe they just didn't know. But it seems like you know you're dying. Like you're going yeah. down. And you can have hope. But Kobe's pretty smart, I imagine, to know like, holy shit, this could be over. And then you have yeah. your child with you who is probably scared. And as a father, your main goal is to make your child feel okay. And for your child to see your child, I'm about to start crying now Mm. to see your child be worried and scared and to have to comfort them and in a way be lying, you know, have to tell them it's going to be okay, baby, or hold them and try to comfort them. I can't even imagine what that was, what that felt like and what that's like. And just thinking, I'm crying now, just thinking about it, thinking about me in that scenario with my own daughter and trying to, to comfort her and know that it's ending and she's not going to get to finish out her life. Like I can't even imagine that. And it tore me up. Like I said, still doing it to me days. I haven't, I haven't thought about it in a while. So I've been good, but Mm. those few days after I was crying a lot and my daughter saw me and, you know, I think she knew what was wrong because I talked to her about it and she would kind of hold me tight and hug me, which was cool to get comfort from an eight year old, but I would hold her tighter. And I think we got closer in those days and we're already pretty close, but it just like thinking about what that must be like just terrified me and really made me sad. And, and it, mm. it just hurts, you know, and then I think yeah. about his other daughters and his Ugh. wife and, you know, 
there's other people on that helicopter and that's terrible. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to downplay their scenario, their situation, but I didn't know them. Not that I know, no Kobe, but I'd met him, but I didn't have any connection with them, you know? So it's yeah. a lot harder, you know, people die in accidents all day, every day. And you read about it in the news and you don't cry about it because you don't mm. know them. You don't have a connection. So even though the people that didn't meet Kobe that cry about it, they had a connection, whether it was through the media or through just stories. So, mm. you know, it doesn't mean you don't care about the other seven people that died on that that helicopter and their families no god no i feel terrible for them too but we all have this connection to people that we kind of adore or see so that's why i think it hit me so hard fellow mm. father fellow competitor i'd met him a few times like all of that just really rocked me it's the worst nightmare for a parent it really is it, is. Happened. it, it is. was when, exactly when, what i thought too yeah when i thought it was just him i was sad but it was a different sadness yeah totally different oof all right. Well, it's the last question time. So we're going to bring it to a different place now. The last question is complete this sentence. I wish I had someone with whom I could share blank. Wow. That is a tough question. Um, and it doesn't have to be romantically. It's no, no, just, I know, answer in it. any sense. Yeah. It's a good question. And I, I want to mm -hmm. answer it. And I think it's weird because in a way I can say, well, that person I have, it's, you know, my mom, my daughter, my family. But again, if you, I mean, this is, was about falling in love and I'm single and I've been single and haven't been in love in six years. Mm. And it's like, I think one of my biggest, and I'm kind of going to be very vulnerable here and who knows how many thousands of people will hear this. And it's weird to be vulnerable to that many people, but I don't feel I can truly be myself a lot. Like the, mm. the, just who I truly am. I feel it's just natural for me to be guarded and kind of keep my cards to myself to use a, a goofy pun, but, or an analogy, but I just feel I'm always very guarded and I'm never truly like myself except for around like my family. And even then, like around my daughter, you gotta be Mr. Dad. You can't really truly for me to break down and cry about Kobe was really exposing, you know, a, a side of yourself. You don't really want to know if you could show your daughter. I mean, you should, but as a mm. dad, you want to kind of be tough, but I don't feel like, I can really be myself around a lot of people. And it'd be nice to maybe meet a partner that I feel like I could. I think that's one of the reasons why I don't really date. And when I do, I kind of don't have that connection because I don't really feel like I can be myself because I wonder if this person would really accept me for who I am or mm. are they, do they even want to meet me or interested in going on a date with me because of what they've seen in the media or in the mm. public and that's what they expect. So I have to kind of live up to that. So it's, it's, yeah, yeah. It'd be nice to kind of meet somewhere I feel comfortable just being myself and then I could under trust that, their feelings are genuine where everything they yeah. reciprocate is actually real and not on false pretenses. Yeah. It can be really hard dating if you are even in a small amount in the public eye. I remember doing internet dating and online dating before, you know, I ended up getting together with my husband and I was already working for ESPN at the time. And I just, I knew the people who would see my profile, some of them would know who I was and would that be why they, you know, why they'd reach out or not. And you, you just, you don't know. You don't know, and it's really it, it's a really difficult thing to do. It makes it harder, I think. No, absolutely. Like if you Google me, right, it says, "Oh, career earnings almost ten million dollars." Oh, right, million dollars. You as a publisher <laughs> know we have expenses, we pay entry fees, we pay buy-ins, we have losing sessions that it doesn't track, we have life. Yeah. So it's like anytime I date someone, and in this day and age, you should be Googling people you date, especially if you're a woman, to make sure they're not a predator, you know? So yeah. it's very easy. And most women I've dated have some have some inclination of who I am, either not when they first met me, but at least before they go out with me. They're like, okay, who is this guy? Oh, he's a poker player. So it's like, then you wonder, does this person really like me? Do they think mm. I'm a, do I think I'm a jackpot? I'm just $10 million. Like, 
how do I really know that? Yeah, I read people for a living, but people can be deceptive. So then you wonder, mm. do they really like me or do they like who I like the idea of who I am? So it's tough. And it's like, it'd be nice to like not have to worry about that. But I don't know how you fix that. You know, yeah. that's one of the downsides of fame, whether it like, again, I hate to have to keep saying this. I'm not delusional. I don't think I'm like this famous guy, <laughs> but I have more notoriety than just like a random human on the planet. So it's, yeah. like, it's kind of a drawback in a way. Mm hmm. I think that's a really good place to finish for a podcast about love and poker. Um, at the end of the conversation, once all 36 questions have been asked and answered, that's usually when the two people are supposed to spend like two to four minutes making silent eye contact with each other, which is a wild idea to me. <laughs> but that's a real clincher for falling in love. But it doesn't work for audio podcasts. So we're just going to leave it there. Thank goodness. How is it, David? I feel like I know you a lot better now. And we've spent a fair amount of time together talking at work. But this is, you know, a whole nother level. And I've really enjoyed hearing your thoughts on these things. No, and I, I really, uh, I, it feels like a, like a random love fest, but I hate to kind of like throw it back on you. But I, I think I owe that <laughs> to you because you have, a, you make people comfortable, at least me. And oh. I think, it, I think other people would agree. It's very easy to kind of talk and, and bear it all, you know, like, uh, you, you know, Kara Scott's cool as hell. She's not going <laughs> to and I know that at the end of the day, this is being recorded for other people. But in a way, it's just like you and I talking. And it's like, you know, Kara Scott, she is accepting and cool. Like, I can just say whatever. And I know she's not going to uh, be offended. or. <laughs> so it's like, you are the right person for this. Because I think you are able to make, you at least made me feel comfortable. So, no, I mean, I enjoyed huh. it. And I hope that, you know, there's no blowback of people like, oh, this guy's a giant pussy or, you know, whatever. Oh, like, my God, no. <laughs> I doubt it because I feel like people this day and age are just learning to express their feelings a little better. And the people that don't can screw off. I'm not really worried about them. But mm -hmm. if they're I were not going to listen to this, I'm conscious about it. Yeah, they're not going to listen to this anyways because they'll get bored. I mean, they're not going to want to listen to people talking about who they are. And for me, that's exactly why I started this podcast. Cause I don't know, that's the bit I really like. I really want to get to know people better. So this, you know, this last 45 minutes is exactly why I started this. So I really no, appreciate you being one of my first guests. I'm, I'm happy to have been a part of it. I hope uh, people enjoy getting to know a different side of me that I don't really mm. kind of play on TV, but Cool. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for listening. I do hope you've seen a side of David that you didn't expect and you haven't heard anywhere else. And thanks to David for being brave enough to do this with me. And I'm going to catch all of you next time on The Heart of Poker. <laughs>